Hi, my name's Robbie, and I was just on the Evolpreneur podcast show, and we were talking about the importance of building your audience before you create your offer and how to wake up your network to make that happen. It was a great conversation, John. Thank you. Welcome to the Evolve podcast show where we talk to experienced entrepreneurs to get great ideas about how to grow your business. My very special guest today is Robbie Samuels, who's an author, speaker, and business growth coach, recognized as a network expert by Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Lifehacker, and Inc. He's also a virtual event designer consultant, which is an interesting kind of gig nowadays, um, an executive Zoom producer, which I want to ask you about that, and recognized as an industry expert in the field of digital event designed by JDC Events. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> and we're also going to talk about your book today. So your book's titled mm -hmm. Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer No Matter the Size of Your Email List. So that's a pretty good uh, book title for most entrepreneurs. I think they like the sound of that. So um, tell me what, so uh, executive Zoom producer, is it basically now like we're talking film stuff now, like it's almost like Zoom's become the standard kind of broadcast. Is that how it works? Well, I get hired by um, organizations that realize that their their team, their staff, were not hired to know how to run engaging, technically proficient uh, Zoom events. And while I have you know given them a lot of you know, training as as sort of in service, that this the level of stress <laughs> that is accompanied uh, running an event, they don't want their team to have to deal with. So I come in. And my job is to help them bring their events online with less stress and greater participant engagement. And I tend to work with national and statewide advocacy organizations. So like uh, I work with one organization that works at all the food banks uh, across uh, the United States, that kind of thing. So um, I didn't start there prior to the pandemic. I wasn't doing this. I was actually so you known did a for teaching a lot of network. <laughs> yeah, I was teaching a lot of network at conferences. That was my first book's topic. I did a TEDx on that topic. Yeah. Um, none of my previous skills were you know, needed in March, 2020. Eye contact, <laughs> business cards, shaking hands, body language. Yeah, well, no, no, right? <laughs> suddenly it's uh, no. suddenly a persona and grata, right? <laughs> you can't touch anybody or talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite crazy, actually. Um, it, it got so silly in Sydney at one point there that the health um, minister or whatever said, "Don't talk to your neighbours. Don't talk to them when you're in the in the supermarket." Right? That's what she's saying on the on this TV. It's like so basically, some like networking was like it's not going to happen. Right? It's like you'd have to yell at them across this room anyway. And social, it's like you can't do it, right? Well, what happened was I, I was really kind of feeling stuck, and I ended up writing nine ways to network in a pandemic on March twelfth. Mm -hmm. uh, which for us was the day before everything paused. And the next day, which was Friday the 13th here in the States, is when I hosted my first virtual happy hour. And I did it just because I was trying to show up and add value. Mm. I had no idea that it was going to be the start of this amazing business. But while I've never charged for that event, it's a weekly event I've done since March 13th, 2020. Uh, it led to several new revenue streams that were successful and a few that failed. <laughs> Uh, but ultimately, I had a six-figure business eight months later, and oh. um, it, you know, I, it worked because I'm a business growth strategist, yep. and I have been coaching dozens of entrepreneurs on product market fit and lead generation. So I really just treated that myself like a client and tried to sort of take advantage of all these inquiries I was getting about, can I pick your brain? Can we have coffee? Can you teach me this? Mm. And that was starting to happen as soon as I started hosting these events. Uh, I turned around and, and the first thing I did was I created a pilot four-week training program on how to use a Zoom more effectively, 
um, online facilitation, virtual event design, and that became a certification program. And 40 people went through it in 2020. Many of them launched their own businesses as Zoom producers um, or became proficient uh, and excellent online speakers, presenters, and, and workshop facilitators. So I'm just glad I got myself out of my own way because mm. if I hadn't, <laughs> if I had like spent that entire year building a, a new website or something, I wouldn't have helped those 40 people. And then the subsequent organizations that hired me because of my now new, <laughs> new yeah. expertise that I had sort of developed. And the interesting thing is that I, what I noticed was I had, because we have a lot of authors and stuff in our, in our publishing stuff, and I noticed that they were in disbelief. So they were just hanging off and on for months. Like they'd go, oh, I'll just, it'll come good. I'll just to, just delay it a bit or I'll do another talking gig later on and stuff. And and when it got to September, what I saw then was this surge. Suddenly they'd realize, oh, gee, I'm going to have to go online. I'm going to have to do this on Zoom. And people that, are, that I've spoken to years gone by that was adamant they weren't going to do it, you know, now they've got no choice. And I think it's probably a good thing because I think it's opened up the world of business dramatically and people have been able to go to conferences virtually they never were able to go before. I think it's a huge thing to be able to get that to like 10 years jump. Like I think it would have taken another 10 years for us to get there. Well, and they're the people who hit the break when the pandemic hit and, hit, and then there's people who hesitated and then hit the gas. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I was definitely one Pay of the people who hesitated and hit the gas. <laughs> Pay attention to people who waited. Around. Yeah. Sorry? Pay attention to what's going on around you, right? Yeah. But there, there are people who like, you know, waited eight months and they were like, well, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. You know, we're going to do live events again. I'm like, the problem is that when they finally went online, everyone else around them that had been doing it had eight months of practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and as you, you know, as you said, like, you know, Zoom doesn't, nothing ever goes right in a conference. You can see that nothing will ever necessarily go right when you do your first Zoom event either when you're not experienced and you don't know what to do when something goes wrong. That's usually the, the death, right? They just basically drop out and that's the end of them, right? That's my job is to stay calm in chaos and yeah. help my, you know, help the events manage smoothly, you know, a little bit of emceeing, a little bit of facilitating, a little bit of tech support, um, a little behind the camera, a little in front of the camera, whatever, whatever's needed. Yeah. Uh, and I love it. I love it. And I, and I love the community I built through my weekly event. Um, we actually had a few people coming Saturday mornings, early, early Saturdays to my weekly event, particularly the half of the year when it's a little, a little later, <laughs> a little longer difference between our time zones. Um, it's, it's amazing. I've met people from across the country and across the globe because of this weekly event. Um, and, you know, and now that I'm doing this new launch for this new book, that's the community that's supporting me, right? Like I, I was able to lean into an entirely new field of people um, that I either had never met or was able to really nurture those relationships in the last, you know, year and a half, almost two years. And I think that's smart. I think what a lot of authors don't realize is that, you know, you've got to build a community around your book because if you don't, right. particularly like in you're doing this launch that's coming up, is you, you build some anticipation as well. So a lot of people like write the book in, in quiet and don't tell anybody about it and then surprise them one day with, surprise, i got a book. Can you buy it? And you go, what book was this? <laughs> you're writing a book. And I think you know, the smart thing is to build up to it like you're doing so that you can actually build that audience, build that, that growth, because basically that's what traditional book publishers do anyway. They, they build, you know, when you're doing film and stuff. So it's a smart thing to do, kind of build that audience up and build some, some following around your book. And, you know. Well, John, this is actually the same problem. It's a sort of a meta that we're talking about this because mm -hmm. my book talks about this problem, not just for books, but for any kind of offer, an online course, a group coaching program, a mastermind. We 
um, are always listening to the, what people need. You know, we're listening to our current clients, our prospects, and we suddenly say, oh, you know what? They would love this. And we go and we go to our own little room and our basement or whatever. And we like, we fiddle, we fiddle, we fiddle. And we, we create something with no input from the people that we're hoping will buy it, the, the people we're hoping to help. And when it does come to the market, they're a little like, who are you? What is this? Why do we need this? Mm. And it's so crushing as the entrepreneur who's trying to be helpful yes. um, to have that happen. I had it happen. I've, I don't yet, I've yet to meet an entrepreneur who has not had one flop like that. Crickets, and the right? thing is we often think the reason it happened is because we didn't have a big enough list. Yes, That was why the title of the book is Smallest Big Results because people think it's their list that's holding them back. But I don't think it's about the list at all. It's about the fact that they didn't reach out to their network to find out what their network actually needed. Mm, and ask them first. And I think I think also prepared yeah. to fail to start with, right? Like launch small sometimes and, and get and get some feedback, work out what's wrong and before you go out there and give something mm -hmm. something that somebody doesn't even want. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> And there's just things like we've been playing around with this whole concept of, of validation as well. So um, make sure that you validate your offer by basically just sending an email to a bunch of people and see if they'll take it up. It's as simple as that, right? And and most entrepreneurs want a big deal, big launch, right? They don't want to you know, muck around with a couple of emails. They want to actually you know, launch big and then you, know, you don't know your audience at that stage. Mine goes back even a couple more steps. So first, it's important to figure out who your ideal client even is. And I don't sure. think everyone's actually that clear about that. No, um, so <laughs> never I, I have an exercise in the, in the book about that. But I have a section of the book called Wake Up Your Network. And my premise is that, ev that you already have met 80% of the people that you need to know to be successful. Mm. So when I talk about networking, I'm not talking about going to events and spraying and praying your business card around town. I'm saying... Uh, you know, take your list and identify people who would recognize your name and you'd ha be happy to hear from out of the blue. This could be your LinkedIn list. It could be your Instagram followers, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can scrape these lists from any of these sites. Mm. And once you've got that list of people who would recognize your name and you'd be happy to hear from, then you want to categorize them by, you know, one, two or three, your connection to them, one, two or three, their influence in the world and one, two and three, their interest in whatever your current topic that you want to discuss is. And using that, those answers, you're identifying likely prospects, likely referral partners slash fellow experts and coffee chat folks. And then some people that you're going to snooze for now and, you know, maybe mm. in a year they'll end up being important to you. And so there is actually a, a companion big results toolkit that comes with my book that has workbooks that are all these like uh, resources to help you implement the strategies in the book. But I've run seven pop-up masterminds about... Um, 50 people went through the program where they actually did the workbook and then came for a two hour call. And it opens up, it's funny, it's called Wake Up Your Network, but in some ways it opens up the entrepreneur. It's almost like the entrepreneur up more than these network, yeah. right? Yeah. It makes them go, wow, I didn't realize I know this, this, this. And then the next step is to analyze the problem language, like to, to go have the calls, analyze problem language. So that by the time you create something, it's really a co-creation and people want to be part of your pilot. And yes. you only need, you know, six, eight people, no less than four, no more than 12 to be in your pilot. Um, no big splash, no big advertisements, no SEO, no Facebook ads, you know, all the, all the things that people, we get really hung up on um, a lot of the trappings of entrepreneurship and making it look bigger than it is. And uh, honestly, it's just been a, a lot of time and money spent when you don't even know if you have a sale yet. And I think too, I'd probably agree with me, I don't know, is that social media, media has made people lazy. 
All right, it's mm. almost like they think that they just got to post stuff and something will happen. And mm-hmm. and I found that whenever I post on social media, if I've asked a question or asked someone who's interested looking for someone to do something, you get far more engagement out of that than you ever get out of anything else. And so it's obviously that human element, that that conversation to me is is the important part. And what people don't want is don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> they just want you to buy it, right? Yeah, I I do think that um, people probably don't have a good grasp. Entrepreneurs do not have a good grasp of how much time and effort they are spending on strategies that aren't working for them. So when they look at my suggestion, they think, oh my God, this, this doesn't take forever. Mm. And, I, and I'm like, well, it could take six to 12 weeks, depending on how you know, much effort you put into it and how much time you have to put into it. But if in three months you could have either a solid idea or a very clear no, mm. isn't that better than you know, a year and a half of banging your head and on it and like spending lots of money yeah. I've met people who have bought, you know, Thinkific or Teachable, some sort of learning management system, paid for videos to be recorded, stored, videos mm-hmm. to be stored, um, you know, paying for systems to, for payment processing systems. I mean, all, all this extra expense and that they have no sales. Mm-hmm. They have no sales. And they basically put all this effort into creating an evergreen product because they were sort of buying into the idea that they were going to have an evergreen product, mm-hmm. which out of the gate, you don't, you don't just, you don't start with that. You may end up with one, but it's after you've tested it and run it several, several times. Um, can you get to that point? And I'm loving the feedback. I've already have um, the the official launch is not for like 11 days, but I already have over 50 reviews on Amazon and the words practical and uh, step-by-step. Yep. <laughs> I mean, That's this good. is the kind of language they, and I have a lot of stories in the book to kind of help mm-hmm. illustrate the concepts, my own story of um, getting to the point where I am and a lot of my clients as well. And the thing is that you've done it yourself. So I think a lot of times, you know, someone, you try and say all this theory and it doesn't necessarily work out because it's all theoretical and nobody's ever yeah. really tried it. But you've actually done, their, done the hard regards yourself. It's much easier for people to realize that too. I think they, right. they pick up on it. Well, I'm actually kind of doing it again right now as we're speaking. Mm, so exactly. we're, we're talking. We're talking about my reinvention of 2020 mm. while I'm reinventing in 2021. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and, and, and only one other person caught up, caught on that when I've been doing all these interviews, but, um, you know, I worked really hard to become established as a networking expert. I spent a decade doing that. Mm. And then that went away overnight. So mm. then I spent a year becoming known as a virtual event design consultant mm. and a, an executive zoom producer. And that, went really, really well. And at the height of that middle of this year, when I was making more money than I ever thought I could make, I started to put forward my coaching programs and my mastermind programs for next year, because I know that I got to think long-term and I love doing this work. And people all ask me, how did you do this? The book is the answer. If you want the results, like read the book. And then I have a year long program to help support people doing the work. And it's not for everybody, but no, the people who you don't are ready will sign up. Right? You can't, you right. know, the volume wouldn't work anyway. So, and I think exactly. it, it takes a, you know, it, I think a lot of, particularly in the actor environment, right? A lot of people say it takes a long time to be an overnight success, right? And I think, yeah. and I think the, when you see some of these guys with big lists and all that sort of stuff, and you think, oh yeah, I could do that. It's like, no, no, they've probably spent the last 10 years getting to that point. Um, it's not like they right. did it yesterday. Um, and I think that's the perception that people, you know, fall on, you know? You know, I'm not against big lists. I guess I should clarify that because I've, I've mm. had people wonder about this. I, if you, if you have the ability to build a 10,000, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 list, brilliant. Mm. It's not going to be 
immediate. No. And in the meantime, why can't you be figuring out how to make money from the 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 people that you have in your list? Exactly. Right. And, yeah. and, I, and if you have a big list, like 60, 70,000, it's like owning a fleet of helicopters. You mm -hmm. don't need a runway. <laughs> right? You have all these helicopters waiting to take you anywhere you want to go. Mm. When you have a little tiny list, you have a little tiny plane that needs a long runway to take mm. off. Yeah, true. So all these calls, all these research calls, all this networking, all this connecting with your network is building that runway so you can have a smooth takeoff. Anybody who has a small list who tries to act like they have a big list is basically mm. going to crash and burn on takeoff. Mm, true. You know, they see other people announce with one email you know, I, where I'm doing the thing. My mm -hmm. friend Dora Clark actually did this. I think it's probably the time she had 40,000 people on her list. And she was like, I'm doing a program and 42 <laughs> people signed up and it boom, you know? Okay. And it's a tiny amount, right? But I think that the other problem with a big list though, I think is you have a lot of problems with big lists because suddenly the emails are harder to deliver. There's all sorts of challenges with spam. There's like, it, it, your actual list becomes a job to be able to maintain. Mm. So I think sometimes a, a, right. a small list is much easier. It's more intimate, more likely to get delivered and more likely as long people as can engaging. respond back to you, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I'm thrilled. I, whenever I send an email out, I get a reply, you know, a couple of replies, 10 replies. Like, you know, the other thing about that is I know that my emails are starting to end up in people's inboxes, not the like tabs in Gmail mm. because mm. they're more likely to see it that way. And it's because it's the conversational. Um, but you're right. It, it, it's, it's, I think, about how we set our sights to what success is. So mm -hmm. if we're, you know, we should be building, the number one thing I think we all should start sooner is building an email list. And yeah. I actually heard that first from Pat Flynn of yeah. Smart Passive Income. Granddaddy. I think he wish he did for earlier was build an email list. And the second thing is using it. So yeah. the, second, the, the worst thing you can do is have an email list that you never send to. I like to tell people if you want to have no unsubscribes, just stop emailing your list. <laughs> <You'll> <laughs> <talk. Yeah. laughs> no one will unsubscribe again. <laughs> and, but, and so you, know, you got to put stuff out there. So one of the things that I, I sort of frustrates me, and I, and I, I kind of know why, but no one seems to run. They, they have all these CRM systems. Everybody buys CRM systems, right? And and what happens is they never use them, and they never implement them, and they never have the, um, I guess the, the, the ability to kind of keep on top of it and start and make sure they keep track of stuff and, and, and sort of make sure the discipline's there, right? And so what they end up doing is they try and manage it through their email box. Um, and, and so what's your thoughts on, on doing a proper CRM and being a bit more disciplined about it? Is it some, like in your situation, like if you've got a small list, you need to know a lot more about them really at the end of the day. Well, so I don't think about my email list in that way. I do have other people in, that I'm nurturing in my network who may or may not even be on my list that I'm keeping track of in some way. I've tried a lot of CRMs. Mm -hmm. um, my feeling on CRMs is I'm agnostic. As long as you'll use it, that's the one you should use. Yeah, um, I, tool, I right? mean, yeah. yeah, as long as it's a tool that you'll use. Mm -hmm. I have made the mistake of attaching a CRM, HubSpot actually, to my email uh, inbox, which means that it got flooded with everybody I've ever emailed with and, uh, became useless pretty much overnight. Overwhelmed um, mm. so, um, you know, I have, I have a friend who, uh, I interviewed in my podcast, uh, uh, this guy, Ron Tester, he has a stack of index cards in his desk. And whenever he meets someone new that he wants to keep in touch with, he puts their name. And when their name appears at the top of the pile, he takes an action, mm -hmm. whether it's emailing them or calling them or checking out their stuff online. And then he puts them in the bottom of the pile. And then every now and again, he flips through the pile 
and it removes people that he, he, you know, he doesn't feel the need to stay on top of right now. So on, Hey, that works, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, as long as you're using it. So, um, one of the things I do is I, I have an assistant and I have Asana boards that we share. So when I want to track certain things, I will send it to her and then she'll track it. And, um, I'll check into that each, each week and just glance to see there's some movement. Um, and I'm particularly, I'm mostly focusing on, you know, anything that's like a prospect of some kind or, mm -hmm. a, like a, I, tr I've tried to discipline myself to only track actual potential Yes. <laughs> um, and not wishful thinking. Not I think for a while, oh my God, I like, you know, you can't track 500 people, mm. but I can, tr I can track a good, you know, 20 to 50. Yes. Um, depending on what it is. And I think that's that. And then I just, I have personally, I've been just subscribing to like the Disney uh, surprise and delight um, mm. is my sort of my motto these days. And so, you know, sometimes that's, that's a shipping something in the mail to someone, a goodie or a card or a condolence card. Um, it could be, you know, send them an email two days before their book launched party to like acknowledge it. You know, it's like remembering things, mm -hmm. trying to show up a little more than I used to. Um, and that honestly feels like it's doing more for me and my community than me having a zillion people on a list. Um, that, that you I can't even know. And, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, there are 500 people over now this today, over 500 people on my launch team. Mm. I don't personally know all of them. No, um, you know all of them, right? You know something, you know something. Uh, 150 came through a list that my friend emailed for me. So you say, you know something, <laughs> not much. I know that something. they're, I know they're connecting to him. Yeah. Um, if they hit reply to my emails over the next few weeks, months, like, yeah, you know, mm. I'll totally. start to get on my stage, but, mm. you know. And I think that's the thing is that knowing your customer and, and, I guess one of the things with social media is like, you know, they've got this whole thing of know your customer. So when they mm -hmm. create an account, you should know your customer, you should know about them. And then obviously they take that to the ninth degree then because they pretty much know everything about you. But I think the more you know about someone, um, the better ultimately, I think. And, and being some sort of organization around that, I think it's being, because I think, again, people have forgotten. Well, when I used to sell accounting software, we used to have accountants sell accounting software, right? So accountants can't sell to save themselves, right? <laughs> it's not their gig, right? And they also deal in the past. So basically, it's like they're archaeologists, really. <laughs> so, um, and so basically, to teach an accountant to sell is very difficult. And but one of the things that I found was it, and I think it's the same with entrepreneurs. They don't, none of them want to sell. They want to do something else. They don't want to be the salesman. They're the only one left to do it. And I think you've got to think like a salesman. You've got to act like a salesman. You've got to do what a salesman would do, even if you're not. It's not you. And I think keeping that list and managing those customers and doing that's what a salesman would do. Um, as opposed to an entrepreneur who might just <laughs> just start blasting emails out because they don't want to do the do the work, and I think unfortunately you've got no choice. You start, someone has to sell. Someone has to do that work. Yeah. Well, I can use my book actually as an example because this is the second time I've launched a book this way. Um, the first time I had about 350 people on my launch team, and the the thing is, I don't send blast emails to my list. Mm -hmm. um, I have a weekly email which they're all on, so they get that email. But all other communication around the actual launch is personalized to them. Mm -hmm. So I make a request. I ask them to send me a review um, via this Google form. And once they take that action, they stop getting any messages about that. Yep. And then the next thing they're going to get is a request to post the review on Amazon. And that email will include the text they originally had sent me mm -hmm. with instructions on how to post it. Yeah. Right. And once a bunch of people take that action, then I'm going to reach out to all the people who posted and say, here are the social links 
that you can share, mm. you know, so I'm not, I have multiple asks, but I'm not going to make them all at once. And then, yeah. and if, if you don't take the action, then you're going to hear lots of reminders from me because I believe you set the intention to support me and I'm going to help you follow through on that intention. Yep. And we're okay. both going to feel good in the end. Mm. So, and that's, um, and yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think the smart thing there too is that people don't read, listen, or pay attention. I'll let this from a wise man. And and so giving them too, too many things at once, like they never do what they go past task once. Right. It's almost like you give them directions to go somewhere and after the third turn, they've forgotten where they've got to go. And I think that's mm-hmm. the challenge is that people think they say, oh, I'll just tell them to do everything one go and then make it too complicated. And then they won't do it. Confuse mind right. won't do it. Well, I think people are also afraid of asking, asking more than one thing. Mm. They, they don't realize that once someone takes an action, they're actually much more open to taking yes. another action. And then they're even more open to taking a third action mm. because now they're fully engaged in the process. I mean, there are people they know. I mean, the reason I have over 50 reviews is because someone else took the action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you had those, to. Otherwise, you couldn't get the other side to work. Right? <laughs> those people are review. Those are people who are like bought in. So um, I think it also strengthens the relationships. Um, the people who I don't know very well who follow through in a timely manner, I'm going to recognize who they are. I'm going to reach mm. out to them. Mm. They're going to get my full attention. They show up in my inbox. I'm going to responsive to them. Mm. Right. And it could be someone I didn't know at all before this process, just by committing and showing up and doing the thing you said you were going to do. I mean, that's basically the rule of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, you don't so you show can up. do and do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the biggest challenge too, is a lot of people say they're going to do a lot of things, but they never do anything. And, and I think that's the challenge. And if, if someone doesn't hold them accountable, they get off the hook. So right. Yeah, and and I think that's bad for everybody in some respects. If you promise something, you're probably in the back of your mind, you're still thinking about it, but you didn't do it, and then you get far more guilty about it. And um, mm-hmm. I had a, had a, a fairly uh, famous uh, Iron Man the other day. I sent him an email, I rang him up, and I said, um, "You promised to send an email to these guys for me." And he goes, "Yeah, I forgot. I've been too busy." And then he goes, "Oh, I felt like you could tell he felt guilty about it." Then, and he goes, "Yeah, okay." So, uh, and then he, um, and I think today I saw the email go out. Right. So, but it took that extra little accountability plug because so like, I asked him once, he didn't do it. He meant to do it right. and he feels guilty about it. And then when I asked him again, he go, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And he, and he went and did it. So here's, here's how I would explain what, what you just described. My mother told me this when I was 12, which was honestly, John, a kind of a devastating thing to hear as a 12 year old, but it makes sense. You are only the main character in your own play. You're only the main character in your own play, meaning you having that email being sent out or me getting a review on Amazon, these are things that are important to us, mm, but not to them, this but is- not to them. So if we ask them to do it and they say, yes, we have to, we have to be the ones who hold onto the accountability part. Like we're the ones who have to see that happening. Mm, um, mm. Now, if we don't do our part, cause I've been on lots of book launches where there's one email asking me to do it and then nothing else. Mm. And I have this vague notion that there's a book, John had a book was supposed to be doing something. And I've like a scrawly note in my notepad, you know, and then I start to feel bad that I didn't do something and mm. no one wants to feel bad. So no, now no. it's a negative connotation to connect to that ask. Mm. Whereas if they had just prompted me a couple of times, mm. right. Given me, you know, make it a simple ask and make it simple for them to follow through. Then I would have done it and be happy to. Right. Mm. So, and it would have felt good. So I, I just think it doesn't do anyone, you know, to let the, the ask just lay there. Mm. <laughs> um, I think polite persistence is what mm. I what I would suggest we all do, and mm. just nurturing people into following through in their best intentions. They'll be happy. You'll be happy. And then the reality is, is, my conversation with him was very short because he he already went to that conclusion on the get go, right? So he's almost right. like, yeah, I know, and you could tell he felt guilty about it, and he's going to do something about it. And I probably right. barely said three words to him about it. 
but he built that whole thing up in his head and then felt guilty about it. And that's all he had to achieve, right? Because you have to get them to feel like they've got to take some action and, and build up the fact that, oh, I'm going to let him down. And uh, as you say, nobody likes to let anybody down either, I don't think. So they just like, it just works well. So you don't have to beat them up. Like you say, you don't have to beat them up about it. You just have to just like a little poke. And, and I think your mothers are the best of that, right? They can, <laughs> they can I just push your I just, I just send these little nudge emails, mm. you know. Yeah, just checking in. Didn't want you to miss this opportunity. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing from you. Totally get how busy we all are. Mm. You know, I can't imagine what your inbox looks like. I know what mine does. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just sort of acknowledge the reality of it. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think, and it's common sense, I think. And I think that's maybe that's what happened in the last couple of years, particularly. I think common sense isn't very common anymore. And so I think you, people just got to sit back and realize that the old ways of doing things, like networking, online works exactly the same as offline it's just a right. little harder i think it's just harder to because when you have that personal interaction with someone there's no substitute for that i don't think but if you you can build that relationship on email or you know you can you can get there it just takes a little longer you know what i actually really like about the online i think that repeat exposure does wonders for relationships mm. i could meet you in person one time and hit it off but then nothing comes of it yes, i see you, you a year later at the conference and mm. we go out and have another drink and a year mm. later another drink but but that's it. Mm. Whereas because everything's virtual and there are things that are weekly and monthly, we're able to see each other much more frequently uh, in professional settings. And it's that frequency of connection that I think is leading to stronger relationships than the ones that I had prior to the pandemic. Like if I look at who I met two years prior to the pandemic to who I've met since March 2020, the quality of those relationships are very, very different mm. because of the number of times I've actually seen these people. Touch points, yeah. Yeah, the touch point. So that's amazing. All right. So um, we could probably talk about this for ages, but, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. but I, I really appreciate your insights. And I think um, it, it's timely too. Like it's obviously, you know, paying attention to what's going around you and you went and pivoted straight away. When And I think a lot of smart business people would have looked at that whole thing back March last year and going, this isn't going to go over tomorrow. And I looked at it and so said, this is years in the making. And, and you got to change your business now, not sit there and wait for someone else to help right. you. So I think congratulations on doing that. I think that's a, that's a great thing. Thank you. So um, we've got to put up a link for people to get hold of the book. And I think you've also got a business toolkit on that page as well. So that's... Yeah, I have a special link for you, right? RobbieSamuels.com forward slash Evolpreneur. And, yeah. uh, you know, people can download the Big Results Toolkit. Um, the book is uh, 99 cents through November 6th. Um, free on October 31st in the US, November 1st in the US. Um, but yeah, I'd love for people to engage with it. Hit, hit, yeah. hit reply to any of the emails you get from me. Let me know how it's going. Cool. It's been really exciting to build some... some yeah, I think it's, and it, and it's, it's a great yeah. practical thing. But you know, from what I can see in the book, it's a great practical thing and that's what you really need. You don't want to sit there with theory. You want to actually get hands dirty. And, you know, I just got the paper. You're the first to see this, John. Oh, no. I just got this in the mail. This is my, oh, my nice. proof of the paperback. <laughs> just came in so no, i just want to show you it's a quick read right yeah it's good a, work yes it's a yes. quick read it's it it will take you a couple hours to read it and 10 years to do it <laughs> that's nice it's a, it's a workbook it's it tons of exercises mm. and it'll you know it's definitely something you're going to want to reread at various points in your business yep. it's a repeatable system yeah save you that's a lot of time in the long use. run though Mm, that's nice and I think there's no substitute for getting your book in the mail like I've, I've done seven books 
and every time you get the book in the mail, it's the same experience, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's true. like your little baby that you've created. Like, like I was like, whoa, it showed up. <laughs> yeah, it's actually real now, right? I think the thing is, once it's re- once it's actually printed out, it's the different ones digital. I've been looking at PDFs and stuff, but I think when you actually mm-hmm. hold a book in your hand, there's no substitute for that either. I'm glad I could share it with you. Cool. Well, thanks, thanks so much, Robbie, and um, hope we'll talk again soon. Maybe we'll talk to you when you when you come up with your next big idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Appreciate your time. Thank you.